Thank you, God, that you've spoken to us through your word. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us scrapping about in the dirt trying to figure it out, but that you speak new life to us. Help us to understand what we read today. Help us to know what we should do about it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So I want us to just start off. We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 80 this morning. Uh, this morning's message is entitled, The Light of Hope. Uh, but I want to start first with just a couple of verses that I have on the screen for you this morning. This is a prophecy about Jesus spoken not long before his birth. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Have you ever been in a situation where it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? Uh, some of you cringed the last time I told my story of exploring a cave, and I don't want to frighten anyone uh, today, but I've been in situations out in the wilderness and in a cave where it's so dark, you literally, you put your hand right in front of your face and you can't see it. Um, and then I've been in situations where it's so bright, you know, your your eyes are trying to adjust. I, I, I wasn't a great student of history in, in, in school up through high school, a little bit more so later, but I do like to think about what it was like for the people back then. And, and in particular, I want to talk about what it was like for the people in this story. You know, what, 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 what did they think about? What were their experiences like? Um, but in this uh, passage, we have specifically kind of a contrast between light, uh, you know, physical light and darkness, a spiritual light and spiritual darkness. And if you can imagine what it was like to live without electricity, um, without um, even how they figured out how to use natural gas, um, what it was like to live where the only light you had was the sun and how you might take care of a campfire, so to speak. And, and then uh, they were also living with candles and, and learning how to use oil to use candles. Uh, for them, uh, light would represent a number of things. Uh, you would uh, certainly uh, correspond that with warmth. Um, Particularly people that were involved with this story would have known what it was like to live out in an open uh, desert area, a high mountain desert. And in a high mountain desert, even in the heat of summer, it can get quite, quite cool overnight in the dark. So light would represent warmth. Uh, light, they would have understood in an agriculture uh, culture primarily that light, the sunlight was also what would give light, uh, what was needed for plants to grow. And, and so they, they, if they were not themselves farmers, they would have known people uh, who certainly would grow things with the help of sunlight. So it, it would be considered something that was warmth, something that was life-giving, but also as they had discovered candles and how to use 
um, oil uh, to have light, it would have been considered a way that you could understand yourself, understand the people that you love, uh, understand each other, your surroundings. It would have been, you know, you've got to light the candle in order to see your way around the house and avoid stepping on Legos. Uh, you know, things of that, we probably didn't have those back then. Uh, but certainly darkness was also seen um, as something that could separate you from the, the, the fun activities in the day, uh, the marketplace, the ability to earn money, uh, and would certainly be considered something that made crime easier. Uh, the relational vandalism, so to speak, like we uh, learned about last week. Um, so kind of just some contrast between light and darkness. And what we also see in ancient poetry um, historical records, letters, is that light and dark were also uh, corresponded with spiritual things. Different than North America, uh, the average person at this place and time where this story occurs assumed that every natural thing had a spiritual correspondence. That uh, no one really, uh, we don't have historical writings of people that were atheists or didn't believe in the, in the spirit realm. No matter what they worshipped or how they worshipped, they believed in the spiritual realm. And for all ancient people, there was a correspondence spiritually with light and dark. And certainly a part of that uh, would be in a natural relationship with being able at the sunrise to see the flowers open. To see the crops respond to the warmth of sunlight. So that's a part of uh, the background of what's going on here. Now, the person speaking in this passage is Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. He is the descendant of priests. His wife Elizabeth is also the descendant of priests. And they were people that would be on um, a scheduled rotation of serving in the temple. It's actually where we get the idea of scheduling a rotation of people to serve in the house of God on Sundays and Wednesdays and all the things that we do, right? And there was a, a in their story, Zechariah's scheduled rotation to come and serve in the temple, in the holy place in the temple, is where something dramatic happens. But if we're going to understand how meaningful it was to the light of hope in Zechariah and Elizabeth, we need to understand their story. Now, the scripture says that they were righteous people. That means they were in a healthy relationship with God and a healthy relationship with others. They were known as good people. They were not, they didn't have a reputation for doing harm. They had a reputation for doing good. So when they walked into the room, someone expected them to do good. Now, their ability to dream and to hope for miracles, the hope for this nothing is impossible with God, which we see, that's the essential message Right at the moments of Jesus' birth with these folks, this message that nothing is impossible with God. Well, that would have sounded very different for them, for Zachariah and Elizabeth. It would have touched something in their heart that was unique, that was meaningful, that maybe even brought a tear to their eye. Well, why? Well, they were Jews who were conquered, a defeated people with Romans walking up and down the streets with a brutal rule over their people. They were waiting for the promise of God for freedom in the natural realm. But beyond that, Zechariah and Elizabeth were also living in a time and place of a class clash of cultures. We can read historical documents about racial motivated violence. But beyond that, Zechariah and Elizabeth had their own journey. They were getting on in years 
which I hope and pray does happen to all of you. They've gotten on in years, and they wanted to have children, but they were not able to have children, biologically. And they yearned to have children. Now, Rebecca and I have a couple children, one in heaven. We also know what it's like to want to have kids and not have kids. But we haven't gone through it our whole lives. God graced us to be able to have kids. When you want to have biological children and you're not able to have biological children, that's a different kind of pain. And what happens? Zechariah is serving in the temple and an angel shows up. And an angel shows up to announce a new season in the spirit realm. But what the angel says to Zechariah is that they would have a baby. And the angel gets specific. The angel says, you're to, and this is in Luke 1, your baby, you're to name this baby John. And this baby is going to have an important role in the Messiah that would come and what's going to happen spiritually. This baby is going to be celebrated. People are going to celebrate at the baby's birth. And the baby is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before it's even born. And Zechariah is overwhelmed with the message that the angel brings. He's overwhelmed and he's, he's questioning he maybe maybe a little bit cynical. He's he's human, and what it means to be human is that you are capable of holding more than one emotion in a given moment. Anyone know what that's like? That's not schizophrenia. That's humanity, yeah. right? And he is holding more than one emotion in that moment. And the angel comes with this promise that that seems impossible, and yet the coming of Jesus Christ has this message of nothing is impossible with God. And because Zechariah questioned it, the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. You will not be able to speak, Zechariah, until the baby is born. As a sign that nothing is impossible with God. He comes out from the holy place. He comes back to the family. He can't speak. They get him something to write with. It's a sign. It's another miracle that is a proof that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a supernatural sign. Sure enough, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. She's expecting the child. The interaction that we read about a couple of weeks ago occurs with Mary. Pregnant with the Lord Jesus. Comes to the time of the child's birth. And, you know, Zechariah's not able to speak, so people are just, you know, thinking and talking for him. And they're thinking and talking about what they should name him. Junior sounds good. And he said, no, 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 no. Let's ask the father. Zechariah writes a note. His name will be John. Obedient to the word that the angel gave him responding in faith that the things that the angel had said about this boy would come to pass. And instantly, Zechariah is able to speak. Another miraculous sign, the proof that Jesus is the Messiah, that nothing is impossible with God. And this is what Zechariah has to say, responding, because the angel had told him that he, his baby boy, John, would walk in the spirit of Elijah. It's prophetic So here's the prophetic poem, which you have to think Zechariah had prepared, ready to speak. Verse uh, 67, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. 
Because He has visited and redeemed His people, He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of His servant David, just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering His sacred covenant. The covenant He swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. They would be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness or who live in, who have settled in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. It's what Zechariah spoke about the reality of who this baby boy John would be and who Jesus Christ would be. A new era. A new day. It's a prophecy. It's a poem. It's meaningful. It speaks to the primary purpose of Jesus. Bringing about a new era, a new time where all can find salvation in Him, forgiveness of their sins, a cleansing from the past, new life, new purpose. And nothing is impossible with God. There's a really stark contrast as well, talking about people who have settled in, who have accepted darkness, who live in it, who sit in it. But not only that, but impending death. He has this imagery of people that live dreading death, worried about it, thinking about it, obsessing on it, but not only physical death, but oppression and suffering and separation from God. It's what it means in the Scripture. People that were living just worried in angst and depression that death was coming. He's saying that John would point to Jesus, that Jesus was going to make a way that we would not need to live like that anymore. Jesus, the light. This is important imagery, and you might think that it's just my imagination at work. So, so let's, have, let's have a look. Oh, I had a nice picture of Zechariah and Elizabeth. People who were devoted to God had long prayed with this imagery. We see in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This was a prayer repeated by believers for centuries. This imagery that God would be their light. The voice of Jesus declared the word of God. Jesus, our good shepherd, guides us in life. We see from Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light unto my path. It is through Jesus that God the Father has spoken. We see in Matthew 4, 16, that Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah predicted in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. What is the reputation of Baltimore City? 
a land where death has cast its shadow. I'm here to tell you, it will be no more. It will be no more when we get a hold of the light of Jesus. If every person will live in the light of Jesus, it will be no more. And in this coming year, there is a new era coming in this city, and we are given an opportunity to be a part of it. This imagery is relevant to us today. Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Jesus saw himself this way. He was described this way. John chapter 1, verse 5, a spiritual description. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's time for us to believe that the darkness has not overcome it. Luke 2, verses 30-32, Simeon recognized this role for Jesus as well. I have seen your salvation, he prayed to God, which you have prepared for all people. He was talking, he was looking at the baby Jesus saying this. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. What do we see? Jesus saw himself as the light. John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, this walk in darkness is very important for us to understand this. You put a pin in this, you can read it later. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 talks about God is the light. There's no darkness in him at all. And how we live our lives. Are we living in the light? Jesus also spoke to this in Luke 11, 34 through 36. Your eye is the lamp that provides light to your body. What we look at matters. Our spiritual insides matter if we are walking in the light. Jesus speaks to this. John chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Jesus called people to respond to him in this way. Believe in the light so that you can become children of the light. There is a salvation, a transformation process, and a spiritual growth process working that light into you. Look at this. This is amazing. Think about this. John also saw in his vision that God gave to him of heaven. After Jesus returns to earth in bodily form, after Jesus returns and God makes new this earth and its heavenly realms and reveals the city of our God that Jesus has been preparing for us, this is what John sees. The city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. This heaven that we have to look forward to, where there's no more crying, where there's no more suffering, where there's no more pain, Jesus is the actual light. Mind blown. Jesus is the light. Zechariah saw this prophetically. So what do we learn from this story? Quickly. Well, number one, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Number two, Jesus brings salvation and forgiveness. These are essential messages with the birth of Jesus. If we don't understand these things as essential, we don't understand the Christ that people amass for. Okay, some of you will get that later. Number three, what do we learn? The Holy Spirit guides us in a life of love and peace. 
The immediate direct response of the people in this story was to live a life of love and peace in a way that was transformational for their community. What else do we learn? Well, number four, God's miracles proved the identity of Jesus. Number five, God speaks through people. And I say that the same is true today. The God who spoke through people People who would speak prophetically, God still does it today. It's an important reminder for us. And number six, God gives the ability to know and understand truth. We didn't have time to unpack it, but those words are in this passage, this gnosis that the Greeks sought so desperately, this experiential but full person, all of their mind and all of their body and all of their soul to personally experience, to learn to know, to be the ones who truly know. That's what the Greeks thought. That was a part of the conversation of the day when this was spoken and what is said in this word that Jesus, the light, would help you to know. It's possible. So, Pastor Ben, that was a lot. You talked fast. You were really like kind of a little on the dramatic side today. What do we do about this? I'm so glad you asked. Well, number one, first, receive Jesus as your Savior, believing that nothing is impossible for God. It would be a shame to walk away without that because that's where real change is. And number two, lead a lifestyle of love and peace. Every one of us probably makes a thousand decisions a day where we can choose love or peace over anything else. Sleep studies, scientific studies, psychological studies have proven that humans make hundreds of decisions a day between fear and joy. They do so as they fall asleep. They do so as they wake up. What do you do with your conscious thoughts? That affects your lifestyle. It affects the choices you make. And it, cho- it affects what you're like to be around. Lead a lifestyle of love and peace. Number three, share the light of Jesus with others, listening and speaking. If we want people to kind of feel, smell, think that they've been around Jesus when they've been around us, we need to love them by listening. By listening with an intent to understand them. Not fix them, not manipulate them, not change them, but to love them by listening, seeking to understand them. We need to listen and we need to speak. Speak the truth of love. Speak the truth of what has Jesus done in your life? How are you better with Jesus? How? What, what story do you have? Is there a story in your life that you can share that speaks to that truth? And here's the last one. This is a little bit longer, but I want to say this, and I believe this very much so as I've been spending time praying and preparing for 2020 and new and different things that we're going to do in this church in January that we've never done before. I believe something is shifting in the spirit realm in our city. I believe God is doing a new thing. I believe a new season is coming. You, if you call me your pastor, I want you to hear me say this. God is doing a new thing. A new season is coming upon us. We've talked about the main, the main truth that Jesus is speaking through this scriptures today. But I also want to say that prophetically we can also draw away this truth. Number four, we are called to trust in the light of heaven at a new moment in history. God is at work for a turnaround in Baltimore. The people in the story, Zachariah and Elizabeth, had suffered. They lived in a land where death had cast its shadow. They had seen the cruelty of not being able to bring about life. 
Their ability to dream had been bruised by disappointments, by discouragement, by fear. And the angel came from the presence of God to call them to dream again. To say that God was going to do a miracle. But also to call them to believe that God was going to do a miracle. That in a land where death had cast its shadow, in a land of disappointment and discouragement, God was going to do a new thing. And I'm saying today that the same is true here and now. Maybe in your personal life, in your ability to dream. Maybe in your finances, in your vocation, in your, am I doing something every day that's fulfilling? Maybe it's in your, in your family, your immediate family, where there has been suffering. God is a God who wants to bring peace where there has been no peace. God is a God who wants to bring joy where there has been no joy. God is a God who is bringing life where death has cast its shadow. Now certainly, just like Jesus called the people of his day to turn around to repent, to not live selfishly, but to live for him, we have the same call today to repent of our selfishness, turn around from it, focus on God. But it's not so that we would just suffer so that somebody else can have it better. But it's also so that God would make a change in our own lives. That there would be a turnaround. That there would be joy. That there would be peace in us, wherever we go. And in the city where we live. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming into a new season. God's given you an opportunity to be a part of the turnaround. This church is going to see things it's never seen before. This next year is not going to be the same as last year. Your neighborhood, your home. This city is not going to be the same. We have an opportunity. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? Thank you, God. God, our creator, who said, let there be light. Thank you that you are a God of miracles, a God who does the impossible. Thank you that you call us to believe, even in the face of it seeming impossible. Thank you that you call us to believe that nothing is impossible with you. Lord, help us heal our bruised ability to dream. Lord, forgive us as we confess where we've chosen not to believe. Heal us in spirit, soul, and body. Bring change to us on the inside out, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city. Lord, we choose to believe in you. We say, Lord Jesus, would you be the light in us, in our homes, and in our city. We thank you for who you are and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. I want to make sure that you are aware we've got uh, invite cards for church and for Celebrate Recovery. They're at the back. They're over here um, as well um, with our, our bulletins and whatnot. So you can invite someone to be a part of anything and everything that we do. Thank you for being here. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day.